St. John Chrysostom, the preaching patriarch and lover of the poor. A few weeks ago, I introduced you to the life and work of St. Simeon, the new theologian in the 10th century. And earlier, we looked at the message of Father Alexander Schmemann in the 20th century. Today, I'd like to look at another Orthodox churchman, but this time one who lived way back in the 4th century. His name was St. John Chrysostom. I have a particular love for him because he was the subject of my doctoral dissertation many years ago under the late Father John Meyendorf. This week's podcast will be the first of a two-part introduction to the life and work of St. John Chrysostom. This week, in part one, I'll focus on his life. Next week, we'll look at his attitude towards the Bible and his love for the poor. Let's begin first with a brief overview of his life in order to see what we might apply for ourselves today. Did you know that St. Chrysostom was the most well-known and highly revered patriarch in the entire history of the Orthodox Church? That's right. The divine liturgy that celebrated nearly every Sunday in our church is even named after him. But he is mostly remembered as a great preacher and interpreter of the Bible. The epithet Chrysostom means golden-mouthed. It was the name ascribed to him after his death because of his powerful and eloquent preaching. Hundreds of years later, St. Photius in the 9th century, another patriarch on the throne, looked back on Chrysostom and said he was the most venerable of all the patriarchs in Constantinople up to his day. It's a fact that we have more ancient manuscripts that belong to John Chrysostom than we do for any other church father in all of Christian antiquity. Chrysostom's biblical homilies and commentaries were important in the past, and they continue to be read with great profit by modern-day scholars and laypeople. His homilies on the entire New Testament, as well as many other subjects, are available in English for you to read. We should note that St. John is not only revered in our church, he's also respected outside the Orthodox tradition. The greatest medieval Catholic theologian, Thomas Aquinas, said that if he could choose only one book to read outside of Scripture— it would be John Chrysostom's commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. In the Protestant tradition, John Calvin considered Chrysostom to be the greatest Bible interpreter of either the Greek or Latin church and adopted his method of preaching the Bible book by book, a method still widely used in Protestant pulpits today. Outside the Christian world, the political influence of John has also been great because of his social theory. After World War II, the Orthodox layperson Charles Malik, the Lebanese Christian philosopher and board member of Harvard University, proposed that the social teachings of John Chrysostom be adopted as policy for the founding charter of the United Nations. So who was this golden-mouthed preacher? Chrysostom lived from A.D. 349 to 407. He was born in Antioch, Syria, where he was trained in classical rhetoric by Libanius, one of the greatest pagan teachers of the day. He was so good that when his teacher was dying, he was asked who he would like to take his place. Labanius replied, John, if the Christians had not stolen him. Along with his training in the rhetorical arts, he was also trained in how to interpret the Bible by his bishop, Diodor of Tarsus. Diodor taught him to interpret the Bible more literally than symbolically, though these categories were not always strictly applied by John. While still a student, John decided to become a monk. He decided to give up his wealth and earthly possessions in order to serve God out in the desert. So for six years, 
he subjected himself to such extreme forms of asceticism that he permanently injured his health, something he later re- regretted. And that's also why he advocates moderation in fasting rather than extreme forms that might injure one's health. He eventually returned to Antioch and became a priest. Most of his 600 sermons that survive today were delivered there in Antioch. According to Acts chapter 11, verse 26, the followers of Jesus were first called Christians in the city of Antioch. Antioch was also a great cultural center of the Roman Empire. In one sermon, St. John said that approximately one-tenth of the population was rich, one-tenth was poverty-stricken, and the rest were somewhere in between. St. John often preached against worldliness and neglect of the poor. In one ser- sermon, again, in one sermon, he asks the rich, You say you have not sinned yourselves, but are you sure you're not benefiting from the previous crimes and thefts of others? His fame soon spread to Constantinople, the eastern capital of the Roman Empire. In A.D. 398, St. John was kidnapped and taken to the capital where he was elevated, against his will, to the honored status of Patriarch of Constantinople. Once again, the golden mouth preacher found himself in a worldly cosmopolitan city, but this time worse. It was filled with imperial intrigues and power plays from both civil and churchly authorities. He was not well suited for this politically charged environment. He was simple and direct, rather than a political and complex man. We could even say that he was a pre-Constantinian man living in a post-Constantinian church. He was simply a fish out of water. Also, St. John did not approve of the large number of nominal Orthodox Christians in the city. One of his sermons gives us insight into how he really felt about the spiritual health of his flock in Constantinople. He began his sermon with the words, I'm so glad to see so many thousands of you in church today, but I fear that not one hundred of you shall be saved. Well, now you start your sermons that way and see what happens. People are bound to perk up. There were other things that he didn't that... Again, there were other things that didn't sit well with his monastic spirit. The luxurious perks that accompany the life of an imperial bishop were seen as worldly and inappropriate amenities. So no sooner did he arrive in the capital that he immediately began reforming the church. Yes, that's right, reforming the church. But his reform efforts were not like those of the later Protestant reform But his reform efforts were not like those of the later Protestant Reformation in the 16th century. His reforms did not split or create a new church. He simply emphasized the centrality of the gospel for everyday life and liturgy, something I too am trying to do, if ever so modestly, in these short podcasts. Unfortunately, it seemed like he had a knack for offending everyone but the common Christian. He lived a very austere and simple life, but... Sometimes people took it as rudeness. For example, he invited visiting churchmen to stay in his residence, but refrained from joining them for dinner. Unlike his predecessors, he refused to ride around in a chariot. He also chose not to entertain people with customary parties, and even tossed out expensive wardrobes and artwork of the patriarchs who had preceded him. Despite his great love for the liturgy, 
he was critical of ornate decorations that could be seen throughout the great church where he ministered. On one occasion, he even decided to sell the golden communion chalices in order to give the money to the poor. He declared to his parish, quote, You make golden vessels, but Christ himself is starving. You make golden chalices, but fail to offer cups of cold water to the needy. Christ, as a homeless stranger, is wandering around and begging, and instead of receiving him, you make decorations. End quote. Ouch! I wonder what would happen today if he were living here in America and started talking like that. Fortunately, there aren't many clergymen like this, but I have seen a few bishops who like to have the red carpet rolled out when they come to town and be escorted around in expensive cars and be housed in luxurious hotels with all the amenities, all the while, of course, sporting monastic garments with ornate crosses. Again, we can be thankful that there aren't many bishops who do this, but there are some, and if St. John Chrysostom were alive today, I think he'd have something to say about it. Eventually, John had a falling out with the Christian empress Eudoxia over her public display of vanity. She erected a statue of herself and placed it across the street from where the church that John had ministered was at. After St. John made some disparaging remarks in a sermon about the vanity of women and pagan celebrations, the Empress Eudoxia took it personally and ordered that he be exiled in the year 407. But the common people didn't like what she did. The public protested the Empress's actions with riots, bloodshed, and even burned the church, but to no avail. The Empress forced St. John to walk a very long and torturous 400-mile journey. You could say that she simply walked him to death as she sent him into exile. Ironically, these events joined him to the very ranks of those he cared most about, namely the poor. He ended his life by becoming just like the poor people he cared so much about. And so, he died as a homeless prisoner, ignored and forgotten by the world. His dying words became so well remembered that they've become a cliché, though at the time he said them with complete sincerity. Glory be to God for all things. And so, he died. Now, we ask, what was the most important message that St. John Chrysostom bequeathed to the Orthodox Church then and now? What did he have to say when he was alive that still needs to be heard by us today? We've pointed out a few lessons about Christian extravagance in his day and ours, but I think you'll be surprised and challenged to hear even more of his simple answers next week. In fact, they're so clear and so powerful, you could even say they're, well, simply orthodox. This is Brad Nassif for Ancient Faith Radio.